0: Hello, everyone. Today, I'll be chatting with Shelley Vaziri-Flace, MD, FAAP. Dr. Flace is a board-certified practicing pediatrician, the mother of three sons and one daughter, and assistant professor of clinical pediatrics at Northwestern University, Feinberg School of Medicine, and Ann and Robert H. Lurie, Children's Hospital of Chicago. She is the author of Raising Twins, editor-in-chief of Caring for Your School-Aged Child, and co-editor of The Big Book of Symptoms. She is an American Academy of Pediatrics spokesperson and frequent media contributor who lives in the Chicago suburbs. Dr. Flace just released her new book called Nurturing Boys to Be Better Men, and today's episode will touch on how we can
1: focus on gender equality at home. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.
0: All right, everybody. Today, we have Dr. Flace here on the podcast. Welcome.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay.
0: So your book just released, Nurturing Boys to Be Better Men. It was last week, right?
2: Yes. Exactly. It's
0: so exciting. So exciting. Yes. And so I just cannot wait to kind of break down the concepts that you talk about within this book very briefly because I do want... I think this is a book that really every parent should read. It's just like... It's a guidebook, right? That just I feel like is necessary whether you have girls, boys, both. It doesn't matter. I just feel like it's it's so great. And I'd love for you to start by just sharing your inspiration for writing this book and why you think that the topic is so important.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's an issue near and dear to my heart. It's something I've thought intensely about for a couple decades now. Um, growing up, I'm a 1974 baby, so I'll just out my age right at the onset. <laughs> I feel like children, I'm a solid Gen Xer, and women my age grew up being told, you can do whatever you want, the world is your oyster. So, As early as kindergarten, I already was thinking that I wanted to be a doctor, and it never occurred to me throughout childhood, would this be a challenge to be a mother and a physician simultaneously? I never worried about work-life balance, for example. Fast forward through my training, I was one of those (laughs) type A OCD types that timed my first pregnancy, and you know, fertility... Health, God willing, you know, you never know if it will work, but my hope was to finish my training and have my first child. So I was very lucky and I went through medical school and then my three years of pediatrics training. Obviously, working with infants, children, um, infants and children were my professional focus, and I definitely wanted to make it a personal focus in my personal life as well. So my oldest son was born in the spring as I was wrapping up my training. And was I was pretty naive up until that point at how gender equity worked. Everywhere that I was, you know, over half of my medical school class was female. You look and even at the high school level, leaders of organizations are female. So, of course, the world is equitable. But then, lo and behold, I had a kid. And then, right away, my husband went back to his job. I was the one juggling you know, maternity leave. And then, oh, your kid is sick. How do we handle this? The mental load of motherhood. And then right away, I got pregnant with twins. So I had three boys within 18 months. Twins will do that to you, which is awesome and wonderful. And part of my OCD type A plan, because I was like, well, if we're going to have a kid, let's just pop them all out. You know, thank goodness. I'm so fortunate. I have so many people I love in my life who have dealt with fertility And adoption challenges and found parenthood and other routes. But for us, um, I was so blessed to have all these kids. But it really got me thinking, having all these little boys in my home, how I realized that the world wasn't an equitable place and how could we combat that. And part of it is I feel like all along as a female, like, oh, girls, you want to be equal, do this, do that. Even in the corporate space, women are told, oh, learn how to play golf so you can join those meetings with the men. How about the world change a little bit to be more inclusive? And I'd argue that the world is a better place when we have those female perspectives. Yeah. So really, it was global reasons and then personal reasons. Not to jump too far ahead, but I even give an example in the book about this math conundrum. And I'm not a mathematician, so I can't speak (laughs) to exactly what this conundrum was, but it's something about three-dimensional space. And a female prominent mathematician, after decades of the greatest minds working on this conundrum, it wasn't solved until this woman who happened to crochet as a hobby looked at the problem because she's used to dealing in three dimensions and she was able to make a model to teach other people what this math concept was. So that's like my perfect example of a STEM field, you know, science, math, where Like the world is a better place when we have more perspective. So it's like win, win, win all all across the board. Yeah. How's that for a mission statement?
0: (laughs) I mean, I think it's pretty darn good, right? Well, I was telling you before we started that, I mean, I feel so similarly when it comes to the fact that I didn't really see any of this either until I became a parent. Thankfully, I married somebody who believes that... He can do anything when it comes to household work or sharing of the tasks and has always been incredibly helpful. And that key discussion that you even mentioned in the book, before you have another child, it is that discussion of, okay, well, how is this going to switch over the distribution of how we run this household if we add another human being to it, right? And it's funny because before every single child we had and we have four it was this discussion of well Lynn you've always told me you wanted to work and and you never told me you wanted to just leave completely so you need to make sure that you're able to balance those things
2: what will that look like yeah cuz
0: that's important to you and i obviously still have to work full time and if you want another child you need we need to figure out what that looks like and you know it was By choice, that I was full time for I don't know what it was six or seven years, and then I was full time per diem, and then I went to like two days a week, and then eventually now after four kids, I'm usually one day a week, sometimes two. Right. But for me, that was my choice, and I'm still working, and I still feel like I'm getting, I'm truly getting the best of both worlds.
2: And you pivot because I think the decision you make when your oldest is a baby that doesn't stick. I think parenthood is a moving target and the ability to stop, reassess where are we at, what's working, what's not working, because it's an evolution. And there's definitely seasons to parenthood. And what you do during infancy, toddler, preschool age is different than elementary, middle school, high school. So I love that you guys are reevaluating Absolutely. And you know you learn with each
0: kid what you're capable of. You're like, okay, well, I've gotten to three. I don't know. Can we handle four? And then we were like, at this point, like, I don't know. I don't think it matters anymore.
2: <laughs> exactly. Going from one to three for me was a bit of a challenge. Going from three to four is a piece of cake. Like, I felt like I could juggle that kid while riding a unicycle.
0: <laughs> right. I know. Although I will say now, I'm like, I don't think in a million years I could handle a fifth. Like, I mean, not even like it's a possibility, but like I, I tell them all the time, I'm like, I, there's no way, there's no way I could do it. And now I've just draw, like I drew this hard line in the sand. Like this is not a possibility for me
2: right, ever, right.
0: <laughs> but yeah, you know, you look at these, some families of like six or seven, I'm like, I don't under, I don't, I don't know how you do it. I really don't. Kudos.
2: Well, and I think the benefit to a larger family and something that I've been grateful for is I feel like. Not only the kids learn more, but the parents evolve and learn more. I think it's changed. Me as a parent, I mentioned a few times already how I'm type A OCD, you know, always like my ducks in a row. That's impossible with four kids. And there's been so many lessons for me to learn as a parent. I might have been a helicopter or lawnmower parent, you know, the kind of parent who paves the path or the helicopter parent swooping in, making everything perfect as the kids grow older. But as a working mom before, like that's not anything I could have ever done. So my kids at a very early age started to learn more responsibility for household tasks and preparing their lunches for school, which I think in all in all is a win win. And it's life skills. And it's interesting because my book originally was supposed to be how to raise kids for gender equity and through the production became more boy focused. But these are things that all human beings need to learn how to do before they embark on adulthood. And so it turns out that it's not female labor, or male labor within a household. It's human being labor. <laughs> and it's just good life skills. And it's part of I, my three boys are now in three different colleges. And I mean, not to brag, but I think they're pretty darn good roommates because they've always lived with this army of bodies. They've always had to. You know, be respectful. Even the silly things, like if someone has leftover smoothie and sticks it in the fridge, they know not to drink it. Because <laughs> that has happened in my house, and there's repercussions to that decision. So, like, avoiding those main character vibes, knowing that you're part of a team, empathizing with other people. Like, these are all, I would say, not to turn this podcast into a why you should have at least four kids, but I think that we've had so many... Built in life lessons because of the sheer numbers. And I think also because I have three boys, I was able to see the diversity there, even though two of the three are so supposed, quote, identical twins, and we confirm they are technically identical twins. They're so different. They are completely different people, interests, characteristics, temperament. So all three of my boys, yes, they're boys. I think if I only had one or two, like one boy, one girl, I'd be like, well, you're the girl. You're like this. You're the boy. You're like this. No, 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 no. I have my, one of my sons is the most lovey-dovey, caregiving, nurturing. All his childhood, I would always joke when I'm an old lady, he's going to be the one to drive me to my doctor's appointments. And that's, you know, yay. (laughs) We all need a kid like that. Who's going to drive us to our doctor's appointments when we're older? And it just, it's just who he is. And so I think even if your son is sporty and prefers more masculine, you know, activities, hobbies, I think just to meet the child where they are is huge and to understand their interests. And kids show us, even as early as preschool, toddler years, they start to show us who they are. And I think just this goes for any child, boy or girl, just to meet your child where they are, follow their interests let them be them. I mean, we're just there to love them, you know? Mm-hmm. And also occasionally feed them and keep them alive. That too.
0: <laughs> occasionally feed them. I feel like I'm feeding them every five seconds. That's how I feel.
2: One of my favorite memes is the, why do they have eat dinner every night? <laughs> right. Right. I love it. Oh my gosh. That is pediatrician advice. Feed them every yes. night. <laughs> yes. Such great advice.
0: Yeah, I so just a comment about just like the, you know, having four kids and, you know, I have the opposite of you, right? So I have three girls, one boy. And I have just loved how, and this was not even done purposely. This is just how they've evolved over time and how they play together. But our kids, they share two rooms. We have four bedrooms in this house. Obviously, there are more people than there are bedrooms. So, Our kids are never going to get their own bedroom. Well, we're gonna have to figure out as they get older, but they all share that there's bunk beds in two rooms and they figure it out. And before bed, they'll play. They'll play for like an hour together. And, you know, sometimes they're playing with my son has this cool like Lego book with like race cars and like a race car thing. And they'll be building the race cars and doing this, you know, racetrack. Or sometimes the girls are like, Well, I really wanna draw a bunch of pictures with markers and all these like frilly things like sequins and stuff like that. And he'll be like, okay, let's do that. So it's just been this like, you know, non-purposeful thing that we've done in our home where they're both doing these activities that one would classify as being specifically for one sex or the other. Right. And I've always just like loved, and my kids are always like, are we really going to share a room forever? I'm like, yes, you are. And I was like, you will thank me. I promise. Maybe you will be like 40 years old when you thank me, but like you will thank me for this experience. I grew up as an only child. I wish that I could have had a sibling to fight with and play with like at night, every night. I promise you like having someone to talk to in your room will help you <laughs> as you are as you grow older. And They're just, yeah, anyways,
2: those social connections. And I do feel like those sibling relationships, it's kind of a trial ground, a practice ground for friendships, and all types of relationships. It's funny, because when I hear parenting advice, or couples advice, or things that kids should be doing, it's often things that we all should be doing. It kind of harkens to that wasn't it in the 80s, there was that everything I needed to know in life I learned in kindergarten. So again, I'm dating myself with that. But that That's exactly what we're looking for. And for myself in childhood, I have two older brothers. We're all very close in age. So I didn't play with Barbies. I played with Star Wars figures. And it's funny because people now are like, oh, your sons love Star Wars. Or you know about Star Wars. Is that because of your sons? I'm like, oh, no, that's because of me. (laughs) Because I was the parent who was like, we're watching Star Wars, everybody. You know, so... I think because as a female who had you know boy interests, so to speak, I mean Legos are awesome. I'm not going to not play with Legos just because I'm a girl. So I think that in and math was one of my strongest stu- subjects growing up. Like the whole notion of like boys are this, girls are that, like throw it out the window. It's it's done. And I think that we're aware of it, but part of it is like as parents, we can have great intentions, but then your kid. Ages up in youth sports, school, and then mm-hmm. you're finding it in your community or at the school, or you'll get an old school coach who were like, boys don't cry, or you throw like a girl. That still happens, sadly. And so, how do we have those conversations with our kid? How do we offset that? Mm-hmm. And I think that's hard. I was telling you before we started recording, I in my clinical practice, because I'm full-time clinical pediatrician, primary care. A lot of the families for whom I take care of, um, it's usually the dad who's bringing the child in for wellness visits and sick visits. And one dad was even sharing with me that his toddler was sick, had to pull her out of daycare, bring her in to get an evaluation. And his co-workers at the school he teaches at were kind of giving him grief. Like, why is it you who's always doing this? And it's, come on, people, it's 2023. That's part of the problem, though, are these comments. Yes. And so even if you've got a certain number of fixed days, even in my research on paternity leave, and it varies greatly across the country, state to state, California is way ahead. My middle brother became a parent in California, and I was amazed at his leave compared to Illinois practices. But I learned that even amongst corporations that offer healthy paternity leaves, it's kind of frowned upon culturally to take advantage, right? You can take it, but then you're not considered for the next promotion, or there's like an unspoken rule, like it's available, but should you really do it? And that's, that's got to shift. Because for me, I feel like, and as a pediatrician, my brain is ages and stages. And that was one thing I wanted to point out. Parents are busy, they don't have time to read a book, but you can pick it up. Get some tips for the age your child is and then put it down and get to future chapters later. It's such a quick read and the way that it's set up is
0: so simple where you could literally just breeze through and be like, oh, okay, this applies to me and read through that part of it and then skip others.
2: Because we're busy, but I feel strongly that the patterns that we established as early as our child's infancy tends to stick over time. And so the problem with a mom taking, you know, eight weeks off, 12 weeks off, and then the dad goes back after just a couple of weeks, especially if it's a C-section, a lot of that time was taken up with the hospital. And it's almost like, go back to work and come back later because I have all the nurses and hospital staff helping me with this child right now. But I feel like the stage is set and those roles tend to stick. And then the mom continues to be like, oh, we're running low on diapers and toilet paper. Toilet paper doesn't magically regenerate in bathrooms, is my experience. So, like the mental labor of knowing what needs to be done, I feel like if dads can take more equitable leave when the child is an infant, that really sets the stage for future success. And so it's definitely something to be cognizant of and aware of. And I think part of it is parenthood between keeping kids alive and work, school, etc., we're kind of just doing our best, especially the last three plus years since COVID, we're so stressed out, we're so overextended, but to kind of periodically take a step back and be like, okay, where are we meeting our goals? Where could we be doing better? Because I think a growth mindset is best. I personally, even though I wrote this book, I'm always discovering ways that I should or could improve. And I think that if we're open-minded and are willing to Evolve and reevaluate. That's a good thing. And it's good for our kids to see that too. I think like when I was a kid, I just thought adults were smart, had it all figured out. Now I see that we're all just winging it, doing our best. And for kids to see us reevaluate, even when the kids are older, I've been asked on this media tour, like, Oh, say your kid's in high school and doesn't do chores. Well what can you do? So I would call a family meeting. I think it's fun to have family meetings. I purposely would try to have family meetings for silly reasons too, just so that the kids weren't like, Oh gosh, what are we going to talk about now? But (laughs) I would say here, state of the union, y'all like we, here's the household chores that need to happen. I mean, loading, unloading groceries, putting food away. That's easy. Cause my take was like, well, this food is for you people to eat. So please bring it in the house. (laughs) That's a no brainer. But then like chores, scrubbing toilets, A, start them early. Cause like anyone who has seen a toddler with a smartphone knows they're eager to emulate the adults around them. And that's when they're like wanting to help. But then say you made it to freshman year of high school and your son has no chores. Well, let's reevaluate, let's talk about it. And there might be grumbling, but I think that it's interesting because in my busy life, Working, keeping people alive, parenting. I think that my kids, when they see us parents working harder, it's <laughs> we're not sitting on a throne like do this, do that. Like it's teamwork. And I think that's part of it. I would just be cautious to not phrase it like help mom, because then that mm-hmm. means the default setting is the mom does everything. Right. I would phrase it in the, along the lines of like help the household, be a team player. Because I think that's, I mean, even when you see a man at the grocery store, people are like, oh, you're helping. That's good. No, you're getting food to sustain life. So when I was reading those
0: parts in your book, I was like this is this is triggering for me because you we've all seen it happen in real time, right? Like I remember th- my husband comes home with stories all the time. He'll be like, "I took all four of them to the grocery store and everybody looked at me like I was like an all-star basketball player or something." <laughs> like, "Are you kidding me?" Like, "No, I'm just bringing my kids to the grocery store to get some groceries." Like, "It's a Wednesday, I, y'all.
2: Calm down." <laughs> oh
0: my gosh. I I mean and, yeah. and I don't do well with comments like that. Like, if I'm present and, like, I don't know, there's some sort of crazy comment about something, something that's, like, in the least bit sexist, I just turn around and I'm like, wait a second. We are in 2023. You guys are aware of that, right? Like, we don't have to be assigning these, like, gender roles. Like, if he's carrying all the kids and I'm the one that's, I don't know, doing whatever – Um, like I coach basketball, and he's managing all the kids, and it's like, wait a second, why is she coaching basketball, and why is he handling all the kids? (laughs) You know, right? Exactly. Um, but also, like you said,
2: opportunities for um, not only teachable moments, but um, overheard praise because, especially as a twin mom, everyone's always like, "Are they twins?" And um, even when they're older, people in the store like, "Are they all yours?" And you have your hands full. And I kind of made a, I used to get really annoyed. And now I've made a conscious choice to pivot and be like, well, I'm very lucky. They're great kids. And I think that your kids, like we can tell our kids we love them, but there's something particularly powerful about hearing your parents tell other people, hey, my kids are good kids. Like that goes a long way to inner value, self-esteem, self-esteem. I think it's an opportunity. So I've tried, I, I'm not always the best at it, but I do try to pivot and make it a positive thing.
0: Yeah, it's so hard.
2: But some people still shake their head and say, oh my gosh, you have a lot of kids.
0: <laughs> my husband likes to say like, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm just borrowing a couple of them. Like they're not all mine. I I just, I wanted more. So I just borrowed some.
2: Drove the van around the neighborhood and picked up a couple stragglers. Yep. <laughs>
0: Because I just I, I want to have more,
2: yeah. It's so funny.
0: So, what would you tell somebody listening if they want to start, you know, nurturing gender equality within their own homes? How can they start fostering these values early on?
2: I'm glad you said early on because I was going to say it's totally the age and stage. Because again, my pediatrician brain, it's all about ages and stages. So early on, modeling. Do what you want your kid to do in the future. And I think that's a big mind shift. I think that because the default setting is these traditional gender roles within a household, in the division of household labor, let your kids see other examples. Let mom see the yard work being done and oil changes or car maintenance. Let the dad be the primary cook. I just saw a toddler in my office yesterday for whom... The mom was like, I don't cook. Dad does everything. (laughs) And I love it. Like, that's wonderful. Like, what a great example. And especially in the realm of cooking, not only we all need to eat to survive, but you look at the professional chef world, and it's mostly men. Yep. But then it's considered a female role within the household. Why is that? That's ridiculous. Clearly, men can cook. So somehow when it becomes a profession, it has to be the guys taking over. So I think everyone should and could cook. And I think when viewed through that lens, because I think because gender roles are so clearly defined, the default setting is always going to be there. And unless we consciously think about it and are somewhat subversive against it, so to speak, the default setting will just continue. So I think that's one of the tricky things. Like, And I think that if you're already thinking about it, you're already halfway there. right? But yeah. What, when viewed through the lens of, like, you imagine your son, should they choose to be a parent in 30 years? What do you want their house to look like? And actually, there's a whole social media boost this year of moms and grandmas doing certain activities with their sons. And the tagline is typically, so their future partner will thank us. But, like, to me, part of you asked early on why did I write this book, in some of my circles I'm in a bunch of social media groups, and off, too often there's a default setting of moms my age, like, oh, this is, you know, we're packing for a trip. I did everything. And then at the final minute, they decided they needed to stain the deck or something like that. Like, it's kind of a bemoaning, like, why is my husband this way? And I always look at that like, instead of, I, I can't change adults now but I go to work every day and I deal with babies and kids and I'm like how can we make sure early steps now prevent that later so that's always like my positive instead of and I think this is something that sets my book apart from other parenting books about gender issues a lot of it is like the current state of the union things are bad but I I can't look at it like that I want to be optimistic I want to be like well what what can we do
0: (laughs) right you're so right
2: Me Too movement, toxic masculinity, it stinks. Well, what can we do? Well, we can take baby steps to make sure our sons aren't. Because ultimately, when you hear those horrible stories, whether it's a school shooter or toxic masculinity or a Me Too event, it's somebody's son. And so, by golly, I don't want to be the parent who raised the kid who engaged in, you know, I I took this gender roles within a household to an extreme. But but part of it is just that prevention stuff. But also, to the original question of gender roles early on, there was a big study that just came out this summer. They examined toddler and preschool kids in the U.S. and China, and those kiddos were already internalizing gender roles of the Division of Household Labor. And that really, there's not a lot of research in that area. You might have guessed that that was the case, but that was one of the early findings that, no, these kids, they interviewed the moms, the dads, and the kids. And as early as the fifth, sixth birthdays, kids were already like, they were given examples like, men do this, women do this. And already they were assigning gender roles. Why? Because it's what they saw.
1: Today's podcast
0: is brought to you by CoPilot. Copilot is a service that provides you with an affordable personal trainer in your own home via an app that personalizes your workouts according to your individual needs and goals. I met with my trainer, Chris, via video chat about six weeks ago, and we talked about what I want to work on in the foreseeable future. Afterward, Chris put together my workout plan within the app and touches base with me on a daily basis to see if I have any questions or changes I want to make. The best part about this app is the real person accountability and the ability to talk one-on-one with your trainer. You will go over what you have available to work out whether it be at home or a gym. Don't worry if you don't have much at home. Your trainer will work with you no matter what you have. You can also discuss what you want your exercise schedule to look like and how it will fit into your current lifestyle. It helps a lot to discuss with your trainer what your goals are and then what type of training is required to hit those goals. I have tried quite a few fitness programs over the years and can say that I'm really enjoying the way this is set up. Right now, I am doing four days of weight training on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday and doing my own HIIT and endurance training on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Chris has also added in core movements into every workout, since that is something I'm really trying to work on after birthing four kids. You can create whatever schedule you want with your trainer and they will work with you. I've been using CoPilot for about six weeks and can say that I love each workout and have felt a difference as I progress. The best difference is the core addition to every workout. I was stuck with my pull-ups and it was because my core was so shot after having kids. I'm starting to build that foundation back up and it's great. I'd love for you to follow my lead to get fit and feel great. Give Copilot a try to find out why it was listed as Forbes' top-rated personal trainer app of 2023. Head to go.mycopilot.com slash Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, to get a 14-day free trial with your own personal trainer. That's go.mycopilot.com slash Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, to get a free 14-day trial with your own personal trainer. Take a backseat and let Copilot help you reach your fitness goals.
2: And as a pediatrician, I have great respect for kids' brains births of five. Like the kids are so much smarter than we give them credit for. We must role model for them what we want them to see. And I would argue if if you're a single parent, this is even easier. I happen to be a single mom. And it's almost easier because my sons see that I literally do everything. My youngest had a flat tire. So my three boys are in college. My baby is not a baby. She's a high school senior. She finished school in cross country, goes out to her car flat tire. And I can only imagine what it sounded like because she came out with her team. And so I can't imagine what a bunch of high school girls sounded like finding her flat tire. It's all okay. All fixed. But we had to figure it out. And we had to figure out how to get the spare out. And so my kids literally see their mom doing all the things, whether it's working outside the home or finding the spare tire. And let's be real. Google helps because you better believe I could have dug out the paper owner's manual in the glove box. I Googled that.
0: (laughs) I Googled that. Yeah. I mean,
2: there's the YouTube video. We're getting the spare out. We're making progress. So thank you technology. But bottom line is whether it's a two parent household or a single parent household, it's ironic because I think single parents and same sex parents have the advantage here because for sure. In my research, that was another consistent theme that same-sex couples don't fall prey to those gender lines. And so they report greater happiness, but we don't get to choose (laughs) that. So for those of us who were in two-sex households, it's something that we need to, we need to swim against the river, as it were. So I
0: want your advice for those of us that, you know, we fall into those traditional gender roles probably because like, I guess you could probably say that our family has traditional gender roles in that I am mostly home, even though I still work outside the home, but I am the one who will be available if a child is sick and needs to come home or, you know, that sort of thing. Like I have to be that person because the flexibility, right. And so that would be considered traditional. So how do you talk to parents that are trying to Strike this balance without reinforcing the stereotypes? Great question.
2: I think that despite living a somewhat more traditional role, exposing your children to other perspectives, it's interesting because I'm thinking out loud here, and a lot of pediatricians happen to be female. So I've heard a lot of stories about little boys who finally realize that boys can be doctors too. <laughs> I love that. (laughs) Because all their lives, they've only seen female doctors because it's usually the pediatrician. So in my efforts to expose a child to people in the workplace of, you know, diverse cultural and ethnic backgrounds, skin colors, gender, (laughs) pediatricians usually were female. So that may not be the best example. But dentists, other professionals, letting your kids see that. And then reading books, I'm a huge fan of age appropriate books at all levels and making sure that the books you're reading with your kid, because we should all be the one thing parents always ask me, what's, what's the one thing I can do with my parents um, or my, my kiddos to help them maximize? I even have some parents, the kid is two months old and they're like, how can we maximize their future academic achievements? I'm like, well, first of all, calm down. <laughs> First of all, take a breath. (laughs) Let's get through this stage first. But reading books with your child, having plenty of books all over your house is like the number one best thing you can do. And letting your child see you read is huge. And so, to that end, each of the chapters has age appropriate resources. And it does get into TV and movies as well. But I'm thinking out loud here Hidden Figures even has a kid version where little boys can read about women who helped NASA figure complex. Them concepts out. Even with a more traditional household setup, there's books you can expose your child to, media you can expose your child to, conversations, and even teachable moments when you see a show and it's the old school traditional role models. What do you think about that? And just have a conversation. It doesn't have to be a big thing, it can just be a back and forth for four minutes. Like, I think just to show your kiddos that you're thinking about it, see what they're thinking about it. That communication and connection is a huge part of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes we we think too hard about it, right? Like, how can I oh, yeah. do this complicated thing? But again, like you said, it doesn't need to be very complicated and it can be something very quick. I mean, kids, like you said, they're they're sponges. They soak up literally everything. Yes. One of our kids, she the other day, she was like, Well, she's talking to my husband and she's like, Well, mommy's the boss. So it's like whatever she says. <laughs> and he's like, Wait what and and we were like, okay, like you know, just because mom's home majority of the time you get to ask her all the questions, you know we're both trying to run the family together and share all of the things that need to happen here and not one person is a boss, you know, but it was so funny because she's like, well, she's the boss like
2: so whatever you say is not what you know' not what goes that was kind of your that was kind of your when kids realize that boys can be doctors too moment <laughs>
0: Oh, men can be bosses too? Yes.
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) So funny. So I, I wanted to touch on raising boys and allowing them to feel the full extent of their feelings because, you know, that's obviously a big one when it comes to, I don't know, you know, your boy starts crying about something and then it's like, oh, boys don't cry, don't cry, or whatever it might be that people have done in the past. And how can we foster like empathy, and emotional intelligence within our boys as they're growing up.
2: So often
0: people think boys are
2: quote unquote easy. And I kind of bristle at that comment. It breaks my heart a little bit because I would argue that if you think boys are quote unquote easy, you're doing it wrong. Why would we inherently think that we don't need to talk to our sons as much as we talk to our daughters? Mm -hmm. And each child has different levels of communicability some kiddos are just like bop, 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 and from a very early age are very forthcoming and chatty, and that's awesome. Others, boy or girl, may not be as forthcoming or chatty. And part of it is as our sons get older, there's this thinking like, oh, well, they're just easy, and I don't. They come home from school, and how was school? Fine. No, we need to have those conversations. We need to know what's going on in our kids' life, and so. Um, There's a few tangible things we can do. And I think this is one of those kid advice things that is great for adults too. I love apples and onions, highs and lows. Like at the end of the day, as a busy working mom, sometimes my most meaningful conversation was the bedtime chat. And of course, by the way, anyone, any parent listening will know that that's when you find everything out, by the way. It it really is. It's the the eight o'clock,
0: like down to the wire, like, oh, can we talk? Like after you've already done all the bedtime things.
2: Yes, you're ready to say goodnight and they're like, Well, let's talk about this. And it's like, I guess we're talking about this now. And it's an hour of like just yeah. yeah. Yep.
0: And then you have four kids, so times that by
2: four. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that said, talking about the best part of your day and the not so great part of your day. And it's logistically we kind of learn about what each of us did each day. It teaches your kid empathy because they see that oh grown ups have good things and bad things to their day too. But it's It's really meant to be a conversation starter because if you just say, how was school? It's just you don't want to ask yes, no questions because you're going to get not much in response. My other thing was conversations while doing other things like driving in the car is an often cited example because it takes the pressure off. You're not like just sitting there staring at each other. You're focused on other things or playing catch or putting the dishes away. I find that with my sons, the conversations that happen while we're doing other things are the best ones. And being available, especially as kids become teenagers, I think parents often fall into the, well, they're busy, so they don't need me as much. But I've noticed that as my kids went through high school, to be available to them, I'd be like in the vicinity doing my own thing. But if they needed, if they wanted to come up and chat, they could but i think just having you nearby is helpful for communication and connection. So that's a tip as well.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's so that's great advice. We try to do that at the kitchen table at dinner and i have found that some of my kids depending on the day might not want to like share something that the whole table will hear, you know? Like you've siblings, you have so it's the bedtime i kind of understand it, right? Because it's just like this one-on-one type of situation. Whereas if you're trying to chat about your day at the table, not everything about your day, you know, is something they want everybody to hear. But it's funny because our son, he we're like, I don't even know if he likes kindergarten. He doesn't talk about it at all. We we ask him a thousand questions and it's like good, 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 good. And um, anyways, he does love it because he like makes his backpack the day before and his lunch and he's like all ready for the next day because he loves it so much. So one day he comes home. He never talks about school. But I was in the kitchen, like, I don't know what I was doing, making lunches or clean whatever I was doing. And and he was like, you know, playing with toys. And he comes over and he's like, I got put in timeout today. And I was like, oh, tell me more about that. And then he was telling me about this incident that happened at school. And he did not stop talking about it. And he brought it up like another four times throughout the night. But it was, you know, it was like just me being in the vicinity of where he was and he doesn't, again, doesn't really talk about much, but he was like so fixated on this. And he was like, I never want that to happen again. Like, you know, and it's so funny because the teacher was like, it was very unlike him. And clearly he was coming home and still
2: thinking about it. But yeah, I mean, you never know what your kids want to talk about. You're already winning because your child has a growth mindset. I think that's beautiful. And you created the opportunity. So I think part of communication is creating the opportunity for communication. You were available, you were present. So those moments, those spontaneous moments could happen. I think part of it, too, especially as our kids get older, we often think of communication as talking, but sometimes it's less talking, more listening. Especially when your kid hits 12, 13, we parents need to shut up more (laughs) and listen more. Somebody smarter than me said, once your kid hits 12, they already know your opinion on everything under the sun. So that's the time where we need to Talk less and listen more. And it's not that's a line in Hamilton, the musical. <laughs> Burr. That's one of the burrs uh, lines to Hamilton. But it applies for parents as well. It applies to every relationship. And for your son in kindergarten who had this incident at school, like that's that's a meatier subject, but even the silly things, because I remember when one of my twins was in first grade at bedtime, we were chatting, and I was just kind of letting him steer the conversation. And there was a pause and he's like, there are no chimneys at college. How will Santa bring me Christmas gifts? (laughs) And I'm like, you six-year-old wondering how you're going to get presents in college. (laughs) I mean, it's an important question. Okay. These are the things that we think about. So whether it's meaty stuff like your kiddos experience in the kindergarten class that day or just the random I mean, that's like the joy of parenthood, right? Like those those are the moments that like, that's why we're here. At least that's why I'm here. I want to hear those chimney questions. <laughs> those are the best questions. But whether it's important or not important, it all matters. It all serves as the basis for connection. Right. Yeah.
0: And I was talking to my husband. I've mentioned this on, I think on one of my episodes before, but that goes for adults and relationships too. Like anytime somebody wants to talk to you about something, it's like, okay, before we even start, do you want me to just listen or do you want advice? And that is something that I can't wait to talk to my kids about as they're getting older, when they're saying, mom, I I really need to talk to you. It's like, okay, before we even start, do you want me to just listen or do you want to also have advice? And I think it really helps steer that conversation in the right direction because I think oftentimes as parents, we're trying to solve problems for them. And they're not able to come to their own conclusions because of that, you know, especially if it's something that happened at school where the kid is like distraught, like, I don't know, they were getting made fun of or what have you. And you were like, oh, well, it's okay. It's okay. Why don't you do X, Y, and Z instead of kind of letting them kind of feel that and, you know, figure out. We jump into troubleshooting mode. Right. Because we want, we don't want them to feel badly. I mean, it makes sense.
2: Well, birth to five, we do need to troubleshoot. (laughs) We're responsible for everything. But everything. Then, yes, it's a loosening of the reins, so to speak. It's a recognizing the seasons of parenthood. And you want to let your kid take the lead, especially by junior high, high school. That's kind of let them screw up while they're still under your safe haven of a home and roof. Because then when they're off on their own they've got some experience under their belt. Because we hear all the time about college kids who leave home and they're so overwhelmed because it's the first time in their life. I mean, it, I told you about all the social media groups I'm on. It's college application season right now for high school seniors. And I'm in a couple groups where early action, early decision applications were due November 1st. And they these parents are getting online like how can I help my child with this essay or what do you recommend And I read these and I'm like your kid is applying to college they're supposed to figure it out I mean yes we're there to support but it just where does it end and so it's it's got to start somewhere and it's got to be an evolution and I think if we don't think about it, I think there's that peer pressure like you see friends family neighbors doing it and you're like oh' we're, this is what we're supposed to do. I know this one college prep group that I'm in it's kind of a hysteria that feeds upon itself and there's a couple of us who were like let the kid do it. Have the kid talk to their counselor. Even logistical things like getting transcripts over. Your kid needs to know how to talk to the grown-ups at their school to get their transcripts sent over. Period end of story. Because what are they going to do when they go to college? <laughs> yeah, they're they're going to be off on a campus. Are they going to call mommy? <laughs> like I hope not.
0: <laughs> right. I mean they're going to
2: well they're in for a rude awakening once they go because
0: then, you know, nothing is done for you. So
2: yes. And it's interesting is in my pediatric practice, kids turn 18. And legally, then we need to interact only with the 18 year old. Um, we have special forms, like it's okay to let my parents know my test results are XYZ. But we'll have parents of young adults calling like, I need to know blah, blah, blah. And if we don't have those forms on file, we have to say this needs to be routed through the patient because they are a legal adult. And that's always, there's a batch of families for whom that's a surprise. And so I think that's, that's, what's crazy about parenthood. As I said earlier, like they're always our babies, but then they're not our baby. Right. In my heart of hearts, I've always got that mama heart. Like, yes, you're of course you're my babies, but like, (laughs) they also need to function. And it's, it's an evolution and it's, Rome wasn't built in a day. You've got 18 years, but it's got to evolve over the years. So, and this applies for boys or girls.
0: All right. So, as we wrap up, I want to ask you one more question. I mean, I have a million, but this is going to be the last one. (laughs) It's going to be the last one. What personal experiences or lessons have you learned on your journey of motherhood when it comes to nurturing your boys to be better men?
2: I think that. I was blessed to have three sons in the sense that they are three unique individuals with different characteristics, temperaments, hobbies, and I had this lab, so to speak, within my own home of seeing that play out and to know that meeting the child where they are is not only okay, but it's the best thing you can do for their self-esteem. Ultimately, we want our sons to join the world with a good sense of who they are We always, as parents, are like, if everyone jumped off a cliff, would you do it too? Like, positive peer pressure, negative peer pressure. I want my kids, as a pediatrician, we've seen such a mental health crisis amongst our adolescents. It's something I struggle with, with my patients in the clinic every day. I want our kids, our sons, to have a strong sense of self, to have a strong self-esteem, to know that when times are tough, that they have people that they can count on who they're not going to judge, but are going to be supportive. It's interesting. I've seen this in a few places. Be the kind of parent who, if your kid stumbles upon a problem, like I got to ask my parent for help on this, not, Oh no, my parents going to kill me when they find out. Be the first one, be the one that your child feels comfortable coming to you to talk about these things. Cause just in my line of work, I our adolescents and young adults are struggling even extending to current middle-aged men, there's this um, loneliness epidemic. And there sadly suicide rates amongst white middle-aged males are the highest. And why is that? And I feel like connection is such a key to combat that. And so not only for gender equity, but for our son's mental health. These are things that we need to do. If we put men in a box and say, oh, you can't talk about your problems, we're doing them a disservice. Let's talk about it. So that that's my hope, not only for my sons, but for everybody who reads this book. Awesome. Okay.
0: So is there anything else you wanted to mention about the book before I ask you two final questions that have nothing to do with what we talked about? I mean, I, I as you talk for another hour, but like, is there anything, I mean, because there's so much I didn't ask you, but is there anything else you wanted to mention?
2: I'm a nerd. I love books. I'm always reading something. And for so many issues that come up in my pediatric practice, whether it's infant sleep or toddler discipline or what have you. I usually have a couple key parenting books to recommend to the family. And some of my families, when I say, hey, there's a great book about this, they look at me like I have three heads. Because, yes, we're all busy. Like, no one has time to read a book. But that's why the ages and stages approach is your friend. Mm-hmm. So you find out you're pregnant with a boy. Boom. Read the pregnancy pre chapter. Done. <laughs> You are currently raising an eight-year-old boy. Boom, read that chapter. Worry about the other stuff later. Or if I achieve my goal, you'll find it funny and entertaining enough that you'll, you'll keep going. <laughs> but I think that for today's busy parents, that you can find some time in those couple minutes before you pass out at night in your bed to read a couple pages and maybe kind of shift your mindset. And that, that would be my hope.
0: Yes. And I, and I feel like, like we said before, it's just great because there are like little one-liners in there where, you know, sometimes you get advice from a book and you're like, well, I, I still don't know like what I would say, like if I'm in a situation, like say, you know, at the grocery store and someone makes a comment and you're really trying to move forward this starting gender equality at home. And what can I say in that particular instance that will shift that person's perspective perhaps in a different way than what they've experienced before, right? And would make them kind of think differently. And that's how we change society as a whole, right? It's not by like keeping all these things to ourselves. It's by, you know, raising our kids this way and also talking to people in the community about these things and trying to change the mindset that we have been so stuck in for years and years. And it's not by fault of like not wanting to change because I do think as a society we want to change it's just we're so stuck and there are so many stories of progress and I'll share one very quickly before I ask these these two questions but I love this story so there's a restaurant down the street and they renovated this old mill from like the 1800s and it's just beautiful and we went in one night to get a gift card me and my friend because we wanted a gift card for our neighbor across the street so we go in and they had just opened and so there was no one in there and we were escorted up to like where the bar area is and we started chatting with the owner and he started showing us around bringing us downstairs and there was this room next to the bathroom and it was this room with like a lounging leather chair and like a refrigerator and like all these things and i was like what is this? And he's like, oh, that's the breastfeeding room. And then there's a refrigerator for milk in case you need it. And then there's a changing table.
2: Amazing.
0: And he's like, also there are changing tables and all of these things within the men's bathroom. And I was like, I was looking at him like at 10 heads because I was like, I'm sorry, wait, what? And he goes, well, I, he goes, I was so sick of changing my children on the floor or bringing them to the car to get changed because so many facilities don't have a changing room within the men's bathroom. He's like, it's just such a simple thing. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, so, you know, you have these instances where you're like, okay, no, we definitely are
2: progressing. That's a he for she advocate right there. And I love it. Let's go compliment his parents, because that's exactly the goal of this book. He happens to be male and he realizes that, oh, we've got to have a secure place for breast milk. We've got to have an opportunity for dads to be parents and perform this essential task of parenthood, changing a diaper, like. Yay. I love it. Right. It's so great.
0: So it's a great way to end it. Yes. So I do have two questions. So the first question, and it doesn't have to be about what we talked about, but if you could give one piece of advice to mothers, what would it be?
2: Oh my gosh. That is, <laughs> you're asking a pediatrician.
0: <laughs> I know. Oh my
2: gosh. I know. I'm so sorry. I say this all the time in my office. Make sure your inner speech, your inner self-talk is the way you would talk to a friend or loved one. I think that we moms expect too much of ourselves. We expect to be perfect. We hop online. We see Instagrammable, beautiful nurseries. That's all baloney. We, if you make it to bedtime, your kid is fed and alive. It was a good day. And be kind to yourself. Because in my daily practice as a clinical pediatrician, I see moms trying to do too much, trying to be everything I think I'm Gen X. I saw a sad study that said that millennial moms are more stressed than any other generation in terms of motherhood. And I think part of it is, yes, gender equity has come further, but then you've got social media pressures. Because when I was having kids, the internet existed, but Facebook, you know, the the other social media apps weren't in existence yet. Right. So I think that my first advice is check your pulse, check your temperature. It's kind of like the airplane, put your own oxygen mask on before you help others with their oxygen. Because if mama ain't happy, no one's happy. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. And the last question for
0: you is, if you could make one meal for your family that everyone would eat that's relatively quick and easy, what would it be?
2: Probably. So Halloween was this week. And I've always, as a mother, found Halloween, an actual meal on Halloween challenging. And this year, Halloween fell on a weekday, and I have a job, and so I had to go to work. So I put in, I'm a huge, I can promote certain companies here, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. I love America's Test Kitchen. Anything America's Test Kitchen says, do this, do that, you do it, it'll be the best whatever it is you've ever eaten in your life. What is that? Is that like a website? What is that? Well, it's a PBS show, and then they have a million cookbooks. They now have an app. I'm kind of addicted to America's Test Kitchen cookbooks. It's a problem. But it's okay because we eat better because of it. But I just splurged and got the membership. But they have a lentil stew for the slow cooker. Because really it's an Indian doll because there's a lot of, you know, curry lentil stews. Um, And it's, this was my go-to. It's one of those recipes that you can have everything on hand. You don't have to think too hard about it. And then you can get it set up in the slow cooker and then it's bubbling while you're at work. And then you come home and the house smells good. I did prepare sushi rice on the side. Just my kids are funny. They like sushi rice as in place of regular rice to scoop it on top of. But I would have to say America's Test Kitchen slow cooker lentil stew. And it's healthy. It's funny because like you're being healthy, but it's so yummy that you don't realize you're being healthy. I just like slow cooker
0: is my best friend. So I just wrote this down because I, I mean, I don't know that my little ones will eat this quite yet, but
2: part of why I'm excited to share it is years ago. So I made it for Halloween. My daughter had friends over for handout trick-or-treating candy. The friends ate it. And one of the girls even said, I don't like lentils. And she enjoyed this. And years ago, I had made a ton and impromptu a bunch of Swim team of kids came over and I was like, oh, if you're hungry, I should have said this earlier, being available, like also being the house where the kids go to, because that's when you find out stuff.
0: Yes, that's the goal. My goal.
2: Yes. As your kids get older, yes, it costs more because you have to have more food on hand. And <laughs> Food is very expensive right now. But when you avail your home to be the place where kids hang out, even if they go, I'll go to the basement or whatever, like you want to be that home because that's how you find things out. That's how you know who the friends are yeah that's how you know what's going on but it was one of those days where a bunch of teammates came over and i happened to make a you know lifetime supply of lentil stew apparently and some of these kids tried it and i was surprised there was hardly any leftovers to put away cuz all these friends had eaten it so i think it's one of those dishes like if you if someone says to you try this lentil stew you'd be like eh but if you actually take a bite you'll enjoy it so okay i'm going to hold you to it America's Test Kitchen for the win. Just do what they say and you'll be happy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I've never heard of it, so now I'm excited to put something else into my to my uh, bucket of of things to eat because, you know, it's hard with with a bigger family and trying to feed them. Right? It's just it's a rough go.
2: And lentils are economical, and it calls for red lentils, which not all grocery stores have. So I went to a special store and I just got tons of it because it keeps. It's dry lentils. So,
0: Is there a huge difference between the regular, like the green ones and the red ones? Is there
2: a taste difference? So I'm not a lentil expert, but the top of the recipe literally says, use red lentils for this recipe because they cook differently than green. This is out of my professional expertise as a pediatrician, but I can tell you the recipe literally says Make sure you use red lentils. So yeah. So I had a hard time. But so when I found it, we can get online. You know, everything is deliverable. But um it keeps. And so that's part of the beauty of this recipe. Like you can just have the stuff on hand and then boom, magic.
0: I'm like literally typing this in as you're talking because I'm so curious. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Flace, for coming on here and just
1: talking to us about this really, really important subject. I appreciate your time so much.
2: Thank you, Lindsay. It was a pleasure.
1: I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old.
0: Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s.